Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. How are we doing today, Summit Church? It's great to see you. So glad you're here today. My name is Mel Massengale. I'm the lead pastor here at the Summit. And I want to say thank you for worshiping with us today. Thank you for being here. And if you're a guest with us, if this is your first time, or maybe you've been a few times, but you've never filled out a guest card for us, I would love for you to take just a moment and fill one of these cards out. They're in the seat back in front of you. And uh, this is just a way for us to connect with you and for you to connect with us a little bit. So if you would fill this card out and then drop it off at our info center at the conclusion of our worship experience today, uh, stop by there, let them know you're a guest with us, drop this with them. They're gonna give you one of our uh, summit mugs with our vision statement on there. It has our uh, vision statement that says, every life made different. That's why we exist, what we're all about. Um, They're also gonna answer any questions you might have about the church. So please fill that out for us. We'd love to connect with you. If you want to connect with us even further, you can do that via social media, and you can find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook by searching Indiana Summit Church, and you can stay up to date with everything that's going on, all the activities, everything that's happening here at the Summit. So again, thank you for worshiping with us. I also want to welcome all of you that are watching online at summittogether.com. No matter where you may be or how you may be joining us today, thank you for making the Summit a part of your day. Pray that God blesses you as you worship with us. There's a lot of things coming up and a lot of things going on. I don't have time to share them all with you today, but I do want to tell you about a couple things. The first is uh, on July the 10th, we're going to be having a night of worship. And there's some cards around like this one if you want to invite people, invite your neighbors, coworkers, whoever. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a different night of worship because we are going to be having our ceremonial groundbreaking uh, during that. So it's going to be a great night for us just to celebrate God, celebrate what God is doing. Um, and we're going to look a little bit at the past and thank God for what he's brought us from and uh, look forward to where God is taking us because God's doing some incredible things here. And uh, we're going to celebrate that night. So we're just going to pray together. We're going to worship together. So I want to encourage you, bring uh, lawn chairs or, or blankets. And uh, if you, all the kids, everybody's going to be together for this. So we're going to have a great time. And then following that, when we get done uh, around 730, uh, we're going to have the time just hanging out. Uh, We're going to eat some cake and uh, just relax together, let the kids play, and just spend some time with our church family. So I'd love for you to be here. Mark your calendar, uh, July the 10th at 6.30 p.m. Uh, Be here for our ceremonial groundbreaking and our night of worship. You don't want to miss that. Also want to let you know, if you've got a teenager in your life, um, make sure they get to our, our youth camp that's coming up. It's July the 31st through August 3rd. Um, so it's coming up in just a few weeks. If, uh, if you've got teenagers that you would like to register for that, uh, you can do so on our website. You can get with Pastor Josh following our worship experience today. He can answer questions about that. And I also want to encourage you, maybe uh, you're here and you've experienced the difference that youth camp made in your life, and maybe you want to help others experience that. Uh, if you're interested in sponsoring or scholarshiping uh, kids to go to, to camp, uh, talk to Pastor Josh and we can arrange that. We'd love to help get as many kids to camp as possible. So, um, so let us know. We'd love to connect you with that opportunity as well. Uh, we talk a lot here about ministry and outside of our context. Uh, we love partnering with other churches, other ministries to see God see, make every life different, not just here at the summit, but at other churches and other ministries and other places around the world. And so uh, I'm glad when we have the opportunity to introduce you to some of our ministry partners, because uh, for some of them, it's really hard to get away. Uh, some of them are overseas. Uh, and so for one of our partners, they're, they're in the United States for a season. 
and uh, connecting with churches. And I'm excited to introduce you today to Randy Freeman and his wife, Desra. They lead a movement called Urban Tribes, and they specifically minister in South Africa where they are raising up uh, churches. They're planning churches in ur- urban settings so that they can maximize their reach and, and impact as many people as possible. And I'm excited to introduce them to you today. So please welcome with me to the stage, Randy Freeman. Hey Randy, great to see you, man. Thank so you glad you're here. Good to be here. We've enjoyed getting to know you this weekend and get to spend some time with you. But uh, tell tell these guys a little bit about you and your family. Yeah, this is my wife Desra. She's right back here, and uh, this is our family. Our oldest son is Hudson. Uh, he's 18, and then Olivia is 14, and Griffin is eight, and Ella is six, and and that's our little family. That's not a little family. That's a pretty good-sized family. <laughs> We're working on it. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so, again, a lot of people here, they might be new to church. They might not truly understand what church planning is or what, the, what, what is going on. So tell us a little bit about Urban Tribes and what you guys are doing specifically. Yeah, as, as uh, you look around the world, one of the kind of mega trends that's uh, really shaping the world is urbanization. And that's the idea that people are moving in, in, in mass amounts to cities and, and, and around the world that's happening in a, great, in a great way. But specifically, Africa is the fastest urbanizing region of the world. Uh, when most people think of Africa, they think of the bush or the savanna, and, and that still exists. But the, the truth is, Africa is growing rapidly in our cities. Uh, by 2020, 61% of Africans will live in major metropolitan areas. And so a, as a mission, we're focused on those, those urban centers, those cities, going in and planting churches, putting faith communities much like this in those cities so that we can uh, reach people for the cause of Christ. Now, one of the things you'd mentioned before is that some of the more unreached people groups tend to send their their people or their best and their brightest to these cities. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, obviously Africans are, are migrating to these cities, but but uh, again, a misconception about Africa is is the opportunities that exist there. In 2013, I think it was, uh, six of the 10 fastest growing economies in the world were centered in African cities. Wow. The East... Uh, particularly uh, nations like China, many Muslim nations have noticed uh, the kind of emerging economic engine that exists in Africa. And so as a result, they're sending uh, their best, their brightest, their influential, uh, their investors to these African cities uh, to start up businesses, manufacturing, and all this sort of stuff. And so uh, one of the unique opportunities we have in Africa that we've really never had before is parts of the world that we can't send missionaries to where there are unreached people groups or least reached people groups, they're sending their influencers to African cities. And so mm-hmm. we can go right in the midst of those people and we can plant churches right in the middle of those people and have an incredible opportunity to reach them for the cause of the kingdom and then getting us a back door back into those nations that, that I can't go to as a missionary. Yeah, that's great. Um, one of the things we talked about that I love about what you guys are doing is that um, it's not just about starting a church. It really is about starting a, a movement or a multiplying effort. Tell us kind of what that looks like for you guys. Yeah, you know, any any healthy organism multiplies. That's what it means to be healthy. And so uh, as, you, as you study the New Testament church, one of the things that you see in the New Testament church is that there was this intentional multiplicity about the church. They, they were constantly multiplying. And so as we plant churches, the idea is that we're building into the DNA of those churches, uh, the, the desire, the heart, 
the passion to reach out and to plant other churches. So every Urban Tribes church that we plant, built within the team, is the seed for the next church plant, moving out to other parts of that nation or to other major cities. Where are some of the, the cities that you guys are targeting initially? Yeah, right now we have uh, a, a church plant uh, that's uh, we're forming the team for Durban, South Africa. Uh, the largest commercial port in Southern Africa is in Durban. Another place is in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, an incredible city, about 7 million people, right? Uh, uh, that borders all of these unreached people groups, and this is really incredible city there. And then uh, in Nairobi, uh, Kenya is our latest team that's coming together. Again, just an unbelievable city, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of university students in that city. And, and again, just such a door right uh, into the Islamic world is right there in, in, in Nairobi. There's about 2 million uh, Somalis that are in that city. Uh, so just an incredible opportunity. Now, with a lot of our folks, um, we live in western rural Pennsylvania. So it's kind of hard to, to think about, well, wrapping our brain around 2 million people and, you know, hundreds of thousands of college students. Uh, but how can we be involved? How can we be a part of what you're doing? How can we help? Yeah, I, you know, I think anytime you, you hear from a missionary and you ask that question, of course they're going to say, pray for us. And, and when we say that, it's not flippant. We, we genuinely mean that as missionaries. We understand uh, that we're dependent upon the prayers of the saints to sustain us. And yeah. and uh, so when we ask you to pray for us, we, we really mean it. We mean it on a personal level. Uh, you saw the, the picture of our family. It was about a year and a half old. And so uh, our oldest son actually is 18. He just graduated from high school. So when we head back to Africa in a couple of months, he's staying here. Yeah. And so you can imagine as a parent what that does to your heart to be on the other side of the world. It's more than just sending your kid a couple hours away to college. We're, sending, we're going to the other side of the world. And so we cover your prayers for things like that. But then for the ministry work. We talk about Addis Ababa. I was there in December. We're looking for locations to start this church in this incredible, uh, incredible city. One of the only lo locations that we can find large enough uh, to house the church is $10,000 a week a week just to meet. And so we need prayer for God to help us to have strategic connections and relationships and places for the church to meet. And so we covered your prayers. We'd also say, you know what? Um, I understand what it's like to be from, from a rural area. Todd and I grew up and went to church in Falk, Arkansas, tiny little town, much smaller than this. And yet mm -hmm. God called us, him to Pennsylvania, and he called me to Africa. And so just because you're from rural Pennsylvania doesn't mean God might not be calling you. And so yep. if you're here today and God's speaking to your heart about what you could do around the world, listen, we would love to connect with you. There's incredible opportunities, and we'd like to connect with you on that. And then lastly, of course, um, if God's laying it on your heart to partner with us financially, we certainly could use and need uh, financial partners to come alongside us because this mission is so much bigger uh, than anything we can do on our own. Yeah, and I, I appreciate these guys so much. Um, their heart to reach people um, and just their heart for God. It's so incredible. Um, some of the things they're doing that seems so unimaginable to us to leave our family and move around the world. Uh, and I just appreciate them. Uh, these guys are gonna be available following our worship experience today. If you'd like to connect with them, meet with them, ask questions, uh, they would love to connect with you. If you would like to partner with them on a monthly basis, on an ongoing basis, they've got information about how you can do that. If you'd like to give them a one-time gift, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, but we want you to be involved somehow in the ministry 
that uh, Randy and Desra are, are spearheading because it really is an important ministry. Um, so at the conclusion of the worship experience, find them, talk to them, get to know them a little bit and just see how you can be involved. Uh, I, we want you guys to live generously and not just in the context of how you give to the summit, but we want you to live generously in such a way that when you see a need like this one and see an opportunity, uh, you're willing to say yes to God when it comes to something like Urban Tribe. So again, uh, pray about it. Ask God how you'd be a part and then step into that and be a part. So Randy, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate it. Let's give him a round of applause as he's seated today. Thank you so much. Thank you. As I said, we love our ministry partners and uh, one of them unexpectedly showed up for church today and uh, they surprised us and said, hey, we're on vacation. We wanna stop by and say hi. And so uh, we love Ben and Amy DeStefano. They're sitting right back here. Please stand and just greet everybody. Wave at everybody for us. We love these guys and are so glad they're with us today. Uh, they pastor a church up in the Erie area, Christ Church of West County, uh, on the west side of Erie and the Fairview area. And uh, they're just grinding away, doing a great job there and uh, just changing people's lives. And I appreciate you guys being here today. It's always good to have you. Um, we are continuing our series on James today. And uh, let me just give you a quick kind of recap of where we're at. Uh, the book of James was written by the brother of Jesus. It was written specifically to, to Jewish believers, Christians who were scattered throughout the world. And it was written to kind of correct some issues that were happening in churches where divisions had risen up. Some of it was socioeconomic. Uh, some of it was just backgrounds and cultural things. And so James was trying to fix some of that. But a couple of things we see, predominant themes we see throughout the book of James is number one, um, having the mind of Christ instead of the mind of the world, thinking differently than the world thinks. We see, saw that dividing line specifically this last week as we talked. Uh, but then we also see this theme of living out our faith, that our faith can't just be something we talk about, but it's something that has to be put into action. And we see that, uh, that theme uh, very vibrantly today. Um, I told my dad, I was talking to him last night, um, and I think my parents think the only reason we live stream is so that they can watch from Oklahoma. But um, I was talking to my dad last night and I just was talking about, man, these are some hard messages to preach at times because they're not light and fluffy. These are very direct. And one of the reasons they're so direct is because in the book of James, 100, there's 108 verses and 50 of the 108 verses are imperative statements. And so he's very direct in his approach. He, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He just kind of puts it out there. And he makes statements about, how things are and how they should be. Uh, and so when we look at this, we understand that it's an applicable passage, it's an applicable book that, that it's, it's easy to look at and go, this is how I apply this to my life. And I need it plain because I'm not the smartest guy in the world. So I need it to be really plain and simple. And that's what the book of James is. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not challenging. It definitely is challenging. And we're gonna start with verse 14 of chapter two today. And we're gonna jump right into a challenging passage. It says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And the implied answer is no. No, that faith can't save you. If we have a faith that is devoid of works, you have to ask yourself, is that true authentic faith? And the answer is no, it's not. It is not a real faith. So we can talk about what we believe, we can talk about how we feel, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't, doesn't motivate us to do something, to live differently, if it doesn't change us and, and 
fundamentally change the people around us, then what we have to realize is that our faith is not an authentic faith. It's not a true faith. And that's some hard stuff, isn't it? It it kind of is reminiscent of uh, Mark chapter eight. Uh, Jesus is talking in Mark chapter eight and uh, in verse 35, he, asks, or he makes a statement and he says, for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whatever, whoever would lose his life for my sake or for the sake of the gospel shall gain it. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about last week where, uh, where James is talking about uh, God has chosen the poor to make them rich in faith uh, and how the world thinks differently than the way God thinks. And this kind of harkens back to this passage of Mark chapter eight, but then he goes on to ask a question that you've probably heard before, even if you're not uh, a churchgoer normally. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And again, the implied answer is it doesn't, right? And so Jesus asked this really tough question, this really difficult question. And it, it is reminiscent uh, of this verse in James where it says, can that faith save him? Can this faith that has no works, this faith that doesn't produce anything, can that save us? And the answer is no. And I think we've all seen Christians, and I'd say Christians use that very loosely. We've all seen Christians who live out their lives in a way that you can't tell that they're Christian. Have you ever known somebody? Maybe you worked with them for a few years and then you found out they went to church and you were surprised. (laughs) You're like, you go to church? Are you sure? Which church? Okay, that's good to know. I'll make it a mental note. Never go to that church, right? It's funny, we had that experience in our office. There was a guy that I went that I was working with, didn't even know he's a Christian. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say Pastor Dick, but I knew I'd get in trouble for that. So I was just joking. I know Pastor Dick's a Christian. I'm just kidding. But you've had that experience before, right? Or, or somebody talks a big game. They, they know how to quote scripture. They know all the right things to say, but then they, they don't live their lives in a way that lines up with what they say they believe. And I would tell you, This type of Christian does more damage to the cause of Christ than anything that the enemy does to us. Because see, what happens is a lot of times those Christians will gather together and sometimes they'll have a church. And then we have churches who say one thing and live differently. They don't live out their faith. Their faith is in word only, but it's not in action. And and that is so damaging to the cause of Christ because what happens is uh, the world sees a caricature. Do you know what a caricature is? Like, you know, you see the picture that you might have drawn of you and, you know, maybe you've got a little bit of a big nose, but then on the caricature, it's gigantic. So they take one thing and they make it huge. And this is what happens in the world. The world sees one little aspect of church and it's blown up and they think that's how church is supposed to be. Every time I see this church in Kansas, Westboro Baptist Church, you guys know this church? It's not a real church. They're not, they don't believe in Jesus. They, they just don't. They, they picket at funerals of, uh, of dead soldiers and they picket at you know, funerals of people that they disagree with. And, and when the world sees that, so many people go, oh, that's what Christians act like. And that makes me wanna go and strangle somebody in, in the name of Jesus in a righteous way. I would do it righteously. Right? Doesn't it? It's just frustrating. Because when I see that, I think that's what the world thinks we're all like. And this is what happens when Christians live out a lifestyle that does not line up with the gospel they profess to believe in. It damages the cause of Christ. It takes away or it erodes our credibility to be able to share the, our faith and our, the gospel with them. He goes on in verse 15 to say, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, 
without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what James is saying is, if we profess to be Christians, if we profess to be followers of Christ, and we see someone in need, and we refuse to do something about their need, we can say whatever we want. We can placate them or patronize them and tell them that we'll be praying for them all we want. But if we could do something to fix their condition and we don't do it, then we have to ask ourselves, is our faith authentic? Is our faith real? Because real faith leads to action, leads to us doing something, leads to us living out what we profess to believe. It goes on to say, so faith also by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Uh, Some of you may remember, um, gosh, it's been a while back now. Uh, I was preaching on a Sunday. I was talking about... um, I was talking about prayer and supplication and what it means, what supplication means. And I was talking about how my daughter, Abby, wanted a dog and she's wanted a dog forever. And how she would, every day, she'd just say, Daddy, when can I get a dog? Daddy, I still want a dog. And I, I, I know you still want a dog. I haven't forgotten that since 10 minutes ago. Like I remember, right? And she'd keep telling me, I, I want a dog every day. I want a dog, I want a dog, I want a dog. And so I was talking about that in, in, in church one day. I was in this room, I was preaching and I was using this as an illustration and you people, um, you people stabbed me in the back because <laughs> I was telling that story and all of a sudden people started calling out from the audience, get your daughter a dog. It's like, wait a second, did my daughter plant you in the room? Like, what is going on? And before I knew it, it was like pitchforks and torches and like people like, yeah, get your daughter a dog. I'm like, fine. So that week I had to get my daughter a dog. And, and I blame you. It's your fault. Um, and Lulu, um, she appears cute and she looks sweet, but she's evil. I mean, you look into her eyes. It's lifeless. It's dark. She's evil. She doesn't do a whole lot. In fact, if you look up uh, the word Lulu in, uh, in, in Cherokee, it means cat. So um, she... She doesn't, she, she doesn't do anything productive for our family other than she is very friendly. Like she loves to lay on her back and let you rub her belly. So I, I tell people we have her trained, but really she's got us trained if we're gonna be honest about it. Um, she gets very excited when we come home. She doesn't care when I come home. Um, she will stay on the couch. But if Kim comes home, if Kim's been gone for five minutes and Kim walks back in the door, Lulu is so excited she pees a little. And there's some things I get that excited about, but not very many. Like it just, <laughs> yesterday was peanut butter Oreo swirl day at the Meadows and, right? That's it though. Lulu doesn't contribute much to our family, but she's so active. She gives a lot of affection and she loves to sit in our laps, loves to just be a part of what's going on. And if, if Lulu died, my family would be sad and it would be a sad day. But do you know what we would not do? We would not stuff Lulu and put her in the corner. How creepy would that be? Really, nothing would change about her eyes. They're cold and dead and lifeless anyway. But you put the dog in the corner, and what what would the good of that be? It would be, well, that it reminds us of Lulu. We loved Lulu, right? Well, that's good. But it's not the same. Lulu 
is not greeting us at the door. Lulu's not active. Lulu's not alive. She's not vibrant. And this is the way some of us approach our faith. It's not alive. It's not vibrant. It's not active. It's just something we have to make us feel a little bit better. It's something we can prop up and go, well, this, look what I've got. But it doesn't change anything. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything in us. What we have to ask, is that faith alive or is it dead? Because if it's authentic faith, if it's a true faith, it, it always produces action in our lives. This is what James says in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That first part says, but someone will say you have faith and I have works. I love this because it's easy for us. We compare our intentions to other people's actions. Well, I mean, I wanna do good things. God knows my heart. Yeah, God does know your heart. But at the end of the day, God says, it's not just about what you feel or what you believe. It's about what you do. And that what we do should be motivated by what's going on in our heart. And if we're gonna be honest, what we do is motivated by what's going on in our heart. There was a book a few years ago by a man named Craig Rochelle, pastors a large church in, uh, in the South. And, and he wrote this book called Christian Atheist. And he basically says in the book that Christians don't live the way they say they believe, they live the way they actually believe. Because if we actually believe the things we say we believe, we would live differently. So I just saved you $14.99. You don't even have to buy the book now. I just told you what it says. And the truth is we live the way we believe or we would live differently. So what we have to do is begin to ask ourselves, what do we believe? And if the faith I claim to have is real, why hasn't it manifested itself into works? Because what James says here is, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What's he saying? He's saying authentic faith generates it manufactures, it creates action in our lives that creates a difference in us and a difference in the people around us. Some of you will look at this and go, well, how, how do you reconcile what Paul said? Because Paul, the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter two that uh, by grace, we, you have been saved through faith, not by works so that no man should boast, right? So you look at that and you go, well, how do you reconcile what he says that it's not by works, right? It's not by works, so apparently James and Paul are at an impasse, they're at a disagreement here. And I would say, I don't think they were at all because I think what they say fits perfectly together because what they're saying is that faith doesn't cause us to be saved, but faith is a product of our salvation. I'm sorry, let me back up. Works don't cause us to be saved. Works are a product of our salvation. We're gonna edit that part out of the video later. So what happens? We get saved and authentic faith is birthed in us. We believe deeply. We believe so deeply it motivates us to action. It moves us to do something. And we do something and we live out our faith in an authentic way. We take action. And it's not the action that saves us, but the action is a byproduct of our salvation. Are, are you tracking with where I'm at? Does that make sense? <laughs> no? <laughs> One person says, yes, I understand. Thank you. So this is what I'm telling you. It's not enough to simply believe because James even makes it clear. 
You believe that God is one, you do well. And he goes on to say, even demons believe. You pat yourself on the back because you believe in Christ? Great. Congratulations. Guess what? The demons believe. It's not enough to believe. We have to have faith. And it's got to be so deep-seated in us that it moves us to action, that it changes us. See, faith is the catalyst for action in our life. Faith is the thing that creates movement in the supernatural in our lives. Faith is different than just believing. Faith is so much more because it moves us to action in the physical and in the spiritual. Faith is what moves the hand of God in our lives. See, demons believe. We're not called to believe. We're called to have faith, to believe deeply, so deeply that it moves us to do something. In verse 20, he goes on to say this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? And again, I might say lots of things in my messages, but I don't think I'd ever be dumb enough to call the people sitting in this room fools. But James doesn't care. He's like, you bunch of fools. You think you know what you're doing? Let me tell you. And he just lays it out. This guy's being direct. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you're new to church or maybe you're new to your faith or you're new to this God thing, or maybe you've been coming to church for a while, you're just checking it out and you're not a Christian, that's okay. But you maybe heard the part where it says that Abraham um, sacrificed his son on the altar and you go, wait a second, what is that? Do we, do we have to do that here? And no, we don't, by the way. Let me just lay that out there. But some of you are going, what is this story about? I'm not familiar with the story. Uh, if you want to read the whole story, you can. It's in Genesis chapter 22. We won't read the whole story. I'll give you, I'll give you the nutshell version. Um, Abraham was a guy. Uh, his name was originally Abram, and God changed his name. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our Hello, My Name Is sermon we had at the end of the I Am series. Um, but Abraham, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, and his name was changed to father of multitude or father of many nations. And he is the patriarch of Judaism, of Christianity, and of Islam. So three dominant religions in the world trace their roots back to Abraham. So he's, he's big time, uh, not just in Christian faith, but in Judaism and Islam as well. So Abraham was a guy who uh, was nearing 100 years old. He did not have an heir, and yet God was bold enough to change his name to father of many nations. And so he changed his name. He had a son named Isaac. He and his wife had this son. And Isaac represented the promise for Abraham's life. He represented uh, Abraham's identity. Everything about Abraham was wrapped up in his son. And one day God says to him, hey, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son on the altar. And there's no record in scripture of Abraham arguing with God. I would love to see how, what he, his reaction was. I would love to see what it was because I know what my reaction would have been. You're like, I, I don't think so. Nope, it's not gonna happen. I, I think you got the wrong person because I've only got a son, just one son. And you promised me I'd be the father of multitude of nations. I don't know how that works, but, right? 
you push back a little bit, but there's no record of Abraham doing that. So he, he, he takes his son and he takes one of his servants. They take all the stuff to offer a sacrifice. And he says to the servant, he says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And I, I don't think this was him lying. I think this is a statement of faith that he has come to this place and he's fully willing to sacrifice his son. But he gets to this place and he says, hey, we're gonna go offer Offering to the Lord, we're gonna go sacrifice to the Lord, and then my son and I are coming back here. And I truly believe it's a statement of faith for him that he's saying, I don't know how this is gonna work out, but I know God's gonna work it out for me. And so they go up and they're heading up the mountain and Isaac, his son says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abram says to him, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together, and they get up on the side of this mountain, they prepare the altar and he lays his son on the altar. He's ready to take his son's life. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says in verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And this appears like God was testing Abraham, but I don't believe that was the case at all. I truly believe that God was helping Abraham see who he was. See, God knew who Abraham was already. I don't think Abraham realized who he was. And so in that moment, I think Abraham realized his full devotion, his full care, his full passion, his full faith in God would lead him to a place that he would willingly lay down the promises that God had given him for his life and willingly lay down his own identity. How would he be the father of a multitude of nations if he sacrificed his only son? And I think it spoke to Abraham about how he felt about God and where he truly stood in his relationship with God, that he would sacrifice everything for obedience. See, the good thing is God's not asking any of us to sacrifice our children today. That's not how it works. But God is asking us to lay something down. He's asking us to be willing to part with something that's valuable to us, that we care about, that maybe is a really good thing in your life. Why? So that we can take action, so that we can do what God's calling us to do. See, there's a reason, I, I truly believe there's a reason that James uses Abraham as an example for us of what faith in action looks like. What it looks like for us to, to exemplify or to live out a life of faith that's married to action. He uses Abraham as an example. And I truly believe there are people sitting in this room today that God is speaking to you about something that you need to lay down on the altar. Maybe it's your ego. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's a, a physical possession. God's saying you need to let go of that. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something that you think is really valuable or important. And God's saying, are you willing to lay it down if I asked you to lay it down? For some of us, the answer is no. We'll just say, nope, I'm not willing to do that, God. You can ask me to do anything you want, but I'm not gonna do that. And that's not a statement about what God thinks of you, but it's a statement about what you think about God. It's a revelation of how you view God and how you view your relationship with God. And that's not to be, meant to be condemnation to you today, but it's meant to help us see where we stand, that God is not asking 
little things from us. He's asking big things from us. See, God, I've said this before, God is ruthless. He doesn't want just a little piece of your heart and of your life. He wants every bit of it. He he wants it all. He doesn't want to share with anybody. He wants every bit of you. He's not willing to take a little sliver. He wants it all. That's what he's asking. Are you willing to give it all? I love this because in verse 25, James goes on and he says, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And I won't get into this story, but Rahab was a prostitute. She was living in the city of Jericho. The Israelites, they sent these spies in and, and she hid them and protected them. And as a result, she was spared from the coming invasion. You can read the whole story in Joshua chapter two. But I love the fact that James could have used any other major character from the Old Testament to show and to document what faith and action looks like. He could have used Moses or David or any other of the big names you can think of in scripture. But he used Abraham, who was a patriarch of the faith, and he used Rahab, a prostitute. Do you think that was accidental? I think he did that so that we could all go, no matter where we're at in our walk with Christ, because we might look at Abraham and go, golly, this man of faith, patriarch of the faith, there's no way, I, I, couldn't, even, I couldn't even be in the same zip code as that guy, right? What about the prostitute? She, she believed so deeply, she took action. She did something. She wasn't perfect, she was a prostitute. If she can live out a life of faith and action, how much more should we be able to? How much more should we be able to put action to our faith and let our authentic faith birth action in our lives? See, if you're here today, and maybe you are that person that you're not really walking with the Lord, maybe you're that person that um, you haven't surrendered your life to God, that's okay. Maybe you're here and you're brand new to your faith. You're just trying to figure this thing out. I would tell those of you in those groups, I would say there's a passage in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And what we need to do is build faith in our lives. And the way we build faith is to begin feeding ourselves the word of God. And we begin to understand the character and nature of God. And we begin to apply that to our lives and it helps us begin to live it out. Our faith becomes authentic and then actions are, spring forth from that. The truth is there's a whole bunch of us in this room that don't qualify as baby Christians or don't qualify as unsaved, that we're here. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And this is what I'd tell you. God wants us to take action. He does not simply want us to show up to church every week or once a month and take off. He wants us to live out an authentic faith that changes us and changes our family and changes our world. So what do we do from here? Well, I would encourage you today, take action. Um, We have a fantastic church. I'm grateful for our church. I didn't say we are perfect because we are a long way from perfect. We have a really good church with lots of different things going on, ministering to to lots of different people, different backgrounds, different ages and races and um, all kinds of things. And I would tell you this, there is a place for you to be plugged in and serve. There's a place for you to to find the mission of this church and to be a part of it. And we wanna invite you to be part of the mission of this church. 
to see every life made different. There's a place for you. Um, I mean, gosh, just about any area you can think of, we can use your talents and abilities for the glory of God. So find a place, serve. Maybe you've never partnered with a ministry financially. Maybe that's something that you go, God, I, I, you've got my life, but I don't, I'm not giving that up. You stay out of my finances, God. That's my area, right? I'd say maybe that's the thing that God's wanting you to lay down and release control of. Maybe God wants you to step out and begin to trust him with your finances, with the summit or with a ministry like Urban Tribes or whatever it might be. Maybe he's asking you to do that. Whatever it is, God wants action from you. He wants action from me. He wants action from us collectively. He wants us to step out. He wants us to trust him because authentic faith births action in our lives. Um, you know, if somebody came to me and they said, Mel, listen, uh, I want you to know something. I, I love you and I'm thankful for you. Man, you've done so much for me. You've helped me so much and you've blessed me. And I just want you to know, I'll do anything you need me to do. Anything, you name it. And I'm there for you 24 seven, I'm there. Wouldn't that be great? You go, man, thank you very much. That, that means so much. Are you sure? Yes, whatever you need. You just ask it and I'll do it. I'll be there. I'm your man. Man, I'm so glad you said that. Listen, I've asked my wife to do something really important. I've given her a task and it's one of the most important tasks anybody can have. And I've asked her to take care of something for me. And all I want you to do is, is partner with her in her task. I want you to come alongside her and help her. That's all I need you to do. And the person goes, well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, you might need to give some time. Maybe you need to support it financially, but, but what she's doing is really important. So would you do that? I don't know. That sounds like it's gonna be kind of costly. I mean, we're busy. We got a busy life. And I mean, I know I said I would help you and I, I love you and I, I, man, but, and I like your wife, but I just, I don't know if I wanna help her that much. But that, that's all I need you to do. I, I need you to just partner with my wife. Just, just help her. I, I don't know if that, that works for me and I'm busy and it's gonna cost me something. And I, I don't know, and I'm saving for a boat. So I don't know if I can really help her. I mean, I know I said I would help, but, but it really needs to be when it's convenient for me. So I can help um, every, um, every time um, it's a Saturday um, on the fourth month when it, Saturday is on the 27th. That's when I can help. Okay, so you can help me like twice a year? Yes, that's when I'll help. But I'm all in, right? So I have to go, wait a second. You say you love me. You say you're devoted to me. You say you'll help any way you can. You, you give me whatever you can, but you, you, you won't support my wife and help my wife? Does anybody see where I'm going with this? See, the church, not just the summit, but the church is the bride of Christ. And what we've effectively done is told God, God, I'll help you. You've got my life. You Take it all. It's all yours, God. And then we go, but God, I don't really, I love you, but I'm not crazy about your bride. God, I love you and I'll give you everything, but I don't know if I wanna support the, the work of your bride in the world. I don't know if I wanna be a part. Man, it's, it's, it takes a lot and it costs a lot and, and I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. What God is calling us to do is take action. He is not calling us to be comfortable. He's calling us, in fact, to be uncomfortable. 
for his glory. He's calling us to lay things down that we love so that he can be glorified for the purposes of his kingdom. <laughs> I had a friend and uh, recently he tweeted this and I couldn't, I would never say this to you guys. I'm just gonna tell you what he said, but I would never say this to you. So understand me. I mean, this guy, what a jerk. But he said in this tweet, he said, it's funny to me that Christians say they'll give God 100% and then fight with God over 10%. Again, I can't believe that jerk said that to those people. I would never have the gall to say that to you guys. But he, so what do we do? We say, God, I love you. You're awesome. You're my everything. Thank you for saving me. But just don't ask anything of me because I wanna be comfortable. And I don't wanna have to give too much and I don't wanna have to do too much and I don't wanna have to help too much. What we're doing is important, God, but it's not important enough for me to be a part of it. So what's God asking us to do? God's asking us to find our place. He's asking us to take action, to do something, to believe deeply enough that it births action in our lives. Because as we see, In that last passage in verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If there's no action taking place, then there's not real faith at work in your life. Take action, do something. Believe so deeply that it motivates you to lay down things that you love and that you care about. Maybe it's your comfort, maybe it's your time, maybe it's your finances, but you're willing to lay that down for the cause of Christ. Let's pray together. God, I love you. And I'm so grateful that you love us so much that your love for us motivated you to action. You sent your son to die on the cross for us. And God, I'm sorry for the times that I've talked a big game, but haven't let my faith birth action. So God, I repent for that. I'm asking you to forgive me. God, I'm asking you to collectively forgive us for the times that we've done that as a church. God, let us be people of action. Let us be people that see a need and respond to needs. God, I pray that that would begin with every person in this room, that we wouldn't be satisfied just going through the motions. We wouldn't be satisfied just playing a game, but God, I pray that you would give us a heart to do something in this world, to make a difference, to see every life made different for you. God, let us not be satisfied. (laughs) Let us not be content just going through the motions. So have your way with us, God. Speak into us. Change us so that we can in turn help change others. With your head bowed and your eyes closed today, I just wanna ask if you're here, maybe you're that person I spoke of earlier that you don't have a relationship with God or maybe, maybe you came in this place, you're exploring your faith, but you're not really sure how to feel about Jesus and all this but you know today that you're not where you need to be with God. You recognize the fact that that you don't have authentic faith and you wanna make Jesus Lord of your life. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I don't wanna point you out, make a spectacle of you. I just wanna pray with you where you are. I wanna be able to identify you and just pray with you where you are without you getting up or anybody looking around. So if you're here today, you say to me, Mel, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna be, be changed. I wanna be made different by his power. I wanna begin that relationship with him today. If that's you, would you be so bold to take action and lift your hand up real high where I can see it? I'll acknowledge you and you can put your hand down. Thank you, ma'am, over here on my right. You can put your hand down. Thank you, sir, on my right as well. 
couple of hands. Thank you so much. Who else would join these? Thank you. Up in the balcony. Praise God. Thank you, ma'am. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You say, that's me. Pray for me. I'm going to want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Thank you. I see you, buddy, up in the balcony. Praise God. Praise the Lord. All right. So what I'd like to do now, I want to pray a prayer. And I want everybody in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, to repeat this really simple prayer after me. So whether you raise your hand or not, just say these words after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for taking action by coming to earth and paying the price for my sin on the cross. Today, I give you my life and I'm asking you to use it for your glory. Take my strengths and my weaknesses and use it so that people can be changed. I'm never turning back to my old ways or my old thinking or my old life. Today, I am new and today, I am yours. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, celebrate today. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Now listen, if you raise your hand and you prayed that prayer, I want you to take a step. I want you to take an action now, do something. I want you to take this card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out. It'll just take a moment, fill it out and then drop it in the offering box before you leave. So as you're walking out, there's one up in the balcony there. There's a couple by the back doors here. Uh, drop this in the offering box. Let us know about your decision because we wanna help you take the next step. We wanna help you cultivate your walk with Christ so that you can grow in that and, and become a fully devoted follower of him. We wanna help you in your journey. So please, please, please take advantage of that. Um, starting after the 4th of July, we're gonna have a our starting point group is gonna restart and come back. Uh, pastor Dick, our associate pastor, leads that. You can sign up for that at the info center. And, follow, and, and also, we've got another baptism coming up here in um, just a few weeks. Um, I guess in the month of August, we've got another one coming up and we would love for you to be a part of that. So there's several ways you can get connected, but take action, fill the card out. Let us help you on your faith journey. Right now, the worship team is gonna lead us in one more final song. We're gonna worship together. As we do, our prayer team is available on either side of the stage. If you need prayer for any reason, I want you to step out from your seat. As soon as they begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members. Let us agree with you in prayer about whatever your needs are. We wanna come together with you and just agree that God is gonna work in your life. Guys, I wanna encourage you as we're worshiping together, just meditate, contemplate, well, God has spoken to you today. He's spoken something a little different to every one of us, I'm sure. So think about it and ask God, God, what would you have me do now? What do I need to lay down? How do I need to take action? How should I be involved? What do I need to be a part of? And then begin to do it. Take action today before you leave. If it means filling out a volunteer application at our info center, go do that. If that means maybe you give for the first time today, go do that. Be obedient to what God's asking you to do and take action. Guys, stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together and then we're gonna be dismissed in just a moment. Guys, I love you more than you know and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.